Hello, hello. Hey, up. What's up? What's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, Puviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. We have a fantastic, fantastic show for today. With an amazing guest, author and founder of Amelia Dalton Travel. Amelia Dalton joins the show. Amelia Dalton Travel specializes in personalizing travel experiences, and Amelia's goal is to get to know her clients and to find out exactly what they want with every trip they take. Her expertise tailors their arrangements to their individual interests and desires, providing an experience characterized by purpose, adventure, and joie de vivre. For 10 years, Amelia owned a small ship running cruises to the remote island chains of Scotland's stunning west coast. She chronicled those experiences in the bestseller Mistress and Commander. Amelia works closely with the National Trust for Scotland and gained her commercial qualifications as a captain. She established the entire cruise program from Arctic Norway to Singapore for an 85-passenger international expedition ship. She's also been a guest speaker, tour leader, and guide for many organizations, both at land and at sea. Uh, such an amazing background, and, and there are so many wonderful things to chat about with Amelia. On today's episode... The Yorkshire native discusses how she first was introduced to travel and how she was actually somewhat reluctant to go on her first exploration. Amelia also chats about her experiences as a ship captain. She also remarks on why she feels travel is beneficial and what she loves about the uncertainty of travel. Really, really, really awesome and wonderful conversation with Amelia. On the water, her travel expertise is unmatched. And with that, she has just so many amazing stories. And she's always looking at new projects. As she's currently working on our second book, The Follow-Up Mistress and Commander. Thrilled for everyone to meet her. So let's go ahead and bring on Amelia Dalton, founder of Amelia Dalton Travel and author of Mistress and Commander. And let's learn. You know, I come from Yorkshire. There's something about Yorkshire that absolutely people always, it doesn't matter how many years they live away from Yorkshire, Yorkshire remains part of them and they are so loyal to anything to do with Yorkshire. It's, there's no question. It's absolutely in your blood, isn't it? Everybody, everybody's an expert at something. And Whoa. <laughs> everybody's an expert at something. Therefore, everybody can teach us something. Everybody, we can learn from everybody if we just are curious. If we have, if well, we just ask questions and are curious. It, it, it's interesting. I, I think my father used to say that you must never, ever lose your sense of curiosity. Uh, and uh, I would agree with you. I, I once employed a very entertaining Irish skipper, and he, he was an absolute scream, uh, and he used to say, well, Amelia, you know, a day without something learnt is a day wasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at about sort of seven o'clock in the morning when we were getting up today, to say, okay, so what are you going to teach me today? Mm-hmm. And I would tell him something, and he'd tell me something to say, phew, thank goodness we can relax now. You know, that's going to be a perfect intro for this episode. So what are you going to teach me today? We're going to start with the, we're going to start with the questions. And I know we'll no, I don't think I'm going to teach you anything. I, I don't <laughs> think I, I, I would, I would, I don't think I'm presume that for a moment. No, no, no. I'm sure, I'm sure that um, we're going to have a great conversation, but I hesitate to say I'm going to teach you anything. <laughs> with the life and travel, I'm just curious how it began. So when was it that you first became interested in venturing out and what was it that inspired you to take on those early adventures? Um, I don't. 
ever remember it being a, much of a conviction. I completely fell into it by mistake. Uh, my parents were surprisingly uh, energetic travelers for their age, their era rather. And um, I was having a really rather rough time at home with my youngest son who wasn't very strong. And my father insisted that um, my now ex-husband and I went and joined him. He had chartered a boat. He was raising money for um, a really remote island called St Kilda, which belonged to the National Trust. And he felt if he was raising the money, he should go and see it. He chartered this boat. Uh, he insisted that I went. I didn't want to go. Uh, we went. And I had never been to Scotland. And I fell in love with Scotland and actually life at sea. That mm. sense of never knowing what's happening 20 minutes later, never mind you know, the next day. That's just such an important thing of what you just said, of never knowing what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you more questions about that, about being curious and being exploring what's next and the uncertainty that comes with sailing. But first, I wanted to talk about just your experiences as the ship captain. And first of all, it's an incredible title. You've been a ship captain. When you think back to those early years, what are some of the memories that stand out? Well, in the beginning, of course, I wasn't the captain at all. I became the captain because I had to. Um, I employed a couple to run the boat. Uh, I bought the boat for them because they were out of a job uh, and they were to run it. He, the two of them, he was the skipper and she was the decky, the cook, the cleaner, the bottle washer. And they were made a great couple and did a brilliant job. And I did the office and the marketing. And then things got, got uh, moved on several years. Uh, and I would be up there as many times as I could be learning about this, that and the other. And every time there was a problem with the engine or something, I would be there. And then over the years, uh, he got what, um, he be, he, things became difficult and they became generally a little bit unreliable. Uh, and so then they had to go and I ended up employing um, trying to find somebody who was as good as seaman because working on the west coast uh, all the year round you really do need to be good at the sea and have that in your veins that sort of saltiness that feeling for the weather even if you don't follow the, the um, forecast closely so I ended up employing people and they, none of them were very good. They all had, one had this problem and another one. And then, uh, but they all came with one agenda. And the agenda was uh, that I would provide their nighttime entertainment. And when I said, no, I'm not going to bed with you. I'm not providing your nighttime entertainment. Uh, one or two of them became very difficult uh, and so my concluded that the only answer was for me to get my uh, qualifications. So if they said, we're walking off the boat in the Outer Hebrides, I could say, fine, go. I don't care. Yeah. Um, and I went to the Department of Transport and I said I wanted to get my commercial qualifications. And they said, you need two years accrued time on watch. So that's like, you know, two hours here, two hours there. So that actually means working at sea for about four years. Yeah. And I, I mean, I said, it's so stupid. I don't even have a logbook, never mind anything else. So they, they said, okay, go away and do some courses, which I did. And uh, then they said, okay, we'll give you a test. So I went into the um, 
the, the, the place in Glasgow, the office, and I had a whole day with the chief examiner of masters and mates with the British Isles. And at the end of it, I have to say it was completely exhausting. At the end of it, he gave me my ticket to take a ship to sea. So that was when I became a captain. Um, Before you continue, I'm curious, on that, on that test, was there anything that was extremely different or unique or that surprised you on that test? Yeah, what surprised me was that every time he would give me a, set me a, a task, um, and the, the very first task was he said, okay, set a course, going out of Oban, you go, nearly always, you, you go up the Sound of Mull, which is a wonderful beautiful stretch of water sheltered and it gives you a long passageway out in shelter to get out into the islands and he said okay set me a course up, up there and so I set the course straight onto the rocks underneath the lighthouse and he just looked at me and he said should we start again <laughs> but the, and so but really every time he set me a, a challenge to do something I would get halfway a quarter way through it and then he would change it and clearly he was doing it to see how quickly I could adapt and adjust. But the thing he really focused on, which was interesting, was fog. Because, you know, fog at sea, if you've got a boatload of people, is supremely dangerous, really. Yeah. Um, so that, was, that did surprise me. I, I, I mean, I knew what, you know, what we did if it was foggy, what we, I had been doing with, every, with the other skippers, and particularly my good one. Um, so, yeah, I just... So, well, you know, we find a nice, quiet, sheltered bay and we drop the hook and wait for it to clear, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but it did, it did surprise me. Wow. How about later in the career, have, have you've got more time at sea? What are some of the memories that stand out of being a captain then? Well, one of the things that's quite interesting is that people all, I mean, it seemed to be, you know, we seem to lurch from one disaster to the next on the boat. But <laughs> they were not major disasters. They were disasters, for example, on one occasion, um, you know, the Caledonian Canal that cuts right the way through uh, from one side of, of Scotland to the other from, from west to east. Uh, equally from east to west, but I was thinking of west to east. And um, uh, we were going through there and we got about halfway through. And the boat, she was big for the canal. We, we had very little water underneath her because she was deep. And um, we got about halfway through and noticed that the water... You could see the water was at the sides. There was a mark where the water had been. And I rang up one of the lock keepers and said, you know, what's going on? He said, oh, we're draining the canal. We're draining it. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you're draining it? We're halfway through. You can't drain the canal. This won't do. Anyway, they agreed that they, they wouldn't. But um, so it was a little bit uh, lower. And, and there was another boat coming towards us. And so we pulled to one side, at which point we immediately got stuck in the kind of mud and there you are in this great big 85 foot boat and the shore is like 15 feet away but you can't do anything and the water was quietly disappearing and the you know and the boat was going to fall over and there was a man walking his dog on the towpath along the along the bank and he said, oh, well, you know, just, just keep, work her backwards and forwards, keep going, and you'll eventually get off. And we did. And then I rang them up again and said, look, you jolliver got stopped draining the water out of this canal. So they were kind of disasters like that, not yeah. massive disasters, but quite bad enough at the time. Yeah. Quite well, a lot of them, one way or another. Um, 
stories like that are in your book, Mistress and Commander. So what inspired its creation, and did you enjoy the process of writing? Um, the reason I wrote it was very simply because um, you can tell by my voice, I don't perhaps sound like a normal uh, well, I was told I had a poncy voice, so let's just call it that. And so none of my friends, um, who kind of knew friends after I, my life changed so much, when I left the boat and came to London, none of them believed anything about this life that I had had. And it made me quite annoyed. So I thought, well, actually, it is all true. I'm jolly well going to write a book. And then as it happened, I uh, met somebody at a party and asked what he did. And he said, I'm a ghostwriter. Mm. So I took him out to lunch and hardly surprisingly, <laughs> he said, yes, I think you have got a book. So I spent two years uh, ghostwriting with him doing it. And actually, it was fine, but it wasn't the right flavor. And he wanted it, actually, he wanted it to be a travel book, which it, it's not. Uh, it's a book of stories about people, really. And... Um, so after two years, I gave up and stopped. Um, and then a great friend of mine who is a travel writer said, well, just do it yourself. Just get on with it. So I set about it. And um, in the course of it, I, th I, I found I quite enjoyed it. It's a lot harder work writing mm -hmm. a book than I had anticipated. And you liked it enough that you have a second one coming out soon? Is that true? <laughs> I do. It's coming out next uh, spring. Uh, also uh, published by Sandstone Press, which is a Scottish publishing house. And this one is going to be called uh, Pages from My Passport. Mm, I like the title. Uh, and it is, when I, when I sold the, the boat from working in Scotland, um, I then uh, went on to work for a company called Hebridean Island Cruises, who have a very neat smart ship on the west coast um the queen has chartered it several times and they set up an international ship and i had been on the scottish ship as a guide and i heard that they were setting up this international ship and i gaily wrote to the managing director and said um fundamentally you need me if you're setting up a new ship mm. um and much to my astonishment he said well all right write me a couple of cruises um so i wrote two cruises about uh, Norway, which I knew, and um, and much of my amazement, he said, "Well, I think we do." And so, I then had five years traveling, pretty well ceaselessly researching islands. What I was looking for was remote islands, because you know, a ship is a tool to get you from A to B, mm -hmm. and if you use it as a tool to explore in an expeditionary sense, you can go to wonderful wonderful places mm -hmm. and you if you have an ability to land on beaches and things you don't need all the infrastructure it's a very uh, sustainable way of traveling because you don't need roads and hotels and all of those sort of things um, and I had five years finding locations for this new ship and setting up the tours from northern Norway all the way through the Baltic the Mediterranean the Black Sea through the Gulf and as far east as Calcutta. Um, it was unbelievable job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just extraordinary. Yeah, amazing. And who, who would have thought that from your begrudgingly went to your first 
Scottish Island, when you weren't necessarily sure if you wanted to travel or not, that kickstarted something that even down the road, you have your own travel company. This was, this yes. was fantastic. You started your own travel company, Amelia Dalton Travel. So how did you develop the confidence to branch out on your own? And then what's some of the resources that the company provides? Well, the confidence to, to branch out was, was simply a necessity. Uh, when I got divorced, I thought, well, I've, you know, I've got to earn my living now. I mean, I'd been, always had a job, but it wasn't that important. Um, it was really so I was sane and had some sort of conversation, never mind just earning some money. But when I was divorced, there were needs must. And I thought, well, what do I know? The only thing I know really is the West Coast of Scotland. So I went and managed to get a job as a guide. And then uh, I worked for Abercrombie and Kent um, as a guide for their small groups going around Europe. And then uh, after the Hebridean um, adventure, setting up the ship, I thought, well, if I ever I'm going to set up something of my own, I must do it. I must get on and do it. So using this five years traveling experience, um, I set up um, my travel company. And I use the, um, the marine experience I have to charter ships uh, quite often for charities and for wildlife charities and for organizations, designing an itinerary that's entirely unique to, the, to that organization um, for their members, uh, plus my clients um, and others who might be interested. And we go and do some really adventurous, interesting things in great comfort, usually. <laughs> well, I love how you mentioned about the ship is the tool to get from A to B. And in doing so and finding some of these islands, You've often visited so many exotic locations all around the world, even places such as Burma. Which of the countries that you have visited have left the strongest emotional hold on you? Well, obviously Burma has, mm -hmm. of course, at the moment with the, all of the troubles there. Yeah. Uh, they are such unbelievably charming people. Mm -hmm. And there are, to me, the, there are not too many places that you can go to that speak good enough English for me to tell them an English joke and they get it. You know, normally yeah. you end up embarrassed if you, you know, can. I'm the worst comedian when I travel. <laughs> well, you know, you st start on a joke and you think, oh, yeah. oh goodness me, I wish puns, I had the See, puns are my this. thing. I'm good with puns. So then if, if oh, the language is a barrier, I have no material. <laughs> well, exactly. It, it, but Burma, Burma, Burma has the same sense of humor as we do, which is really interesting. But, uh, I love the Indian Ocean. I think the Indian Ocean is one of the most glorious places. Madagascar, the Seychelles. Um, I like the the interesting history of exploration there, the Portuguese coming through, the Chinese, and the different cultures that mix there. Um, and Madagascar is absolutely one of my favorite places with wonderful, colorful people uh, so charming. And of course, you have the French history with excellent food, mm -hmm. um, fascinating wildlife. And it's just a very, very colorful, uh, interesting country with so many attributes that are one of the most magical experiences was when I was going 
um, walking uh, up a river with a couple of guides and they said you we're going to stop here and have a break and you can swim in this pool and there was a beautiful pool in the river and so I swam in the pool and these two lads sat on a huge boulder at the side and they sang they just of their own accord started to sing Malagasy songs and it was up with the sound of the water and the birds no mechanical noises of any kind it was just utter magic it really was yeah those are the moments what has a life spent traveling and often many hours at sea what has that taught you both about yourself and people across the world you mentioned there about a great experience of humanity while in madagascar so taught you about yourself and just the the people that you've met it's actually taught me that i'm horribly impatient which is (laughs) which is not a good attribute if you're traveling because things tend to go Especially wrong. on a ship. <laughs> well, exactly. And you, you have to, you know, you do, do have to just take a, take a breath and say, come along. You know, the fact that the airplane's delayed or whatever it may be really doesn't matter. So add it to it, you can't do anything about it. So it's taught me that I, I should be more patient. Um, I suppose it's taught me that fundamentally people are the same pretty well all over the world. The same things excite people, frighten people, those sorts of, you know, people worry about much the same things. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of Freya Stark's Seven Cardinal Virtues for Travelers, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you will know. Mm -hmm. Um, She is so smart when she says, you know, that you have to be serenely calm at the end as at the beginning of the day <laughs> which is not me um and one of the one of her virtues which i do remember very clearly thinking to myself when i was irritated running my boat in scotland and things were going badly with whatever it was you know uh, a sparky or somebody or other and i i can remember saying to myself you know you've got to remember this uh one of her i think it's the second one of her virtues which was to use stupid men and inadequate tools with equanimity (laughs) so i remember those and to take rest and refreshment as and when it's offered um but it's patience one needs to be patient there's no doubt about it if you're traveling and then you enjoy the moment and you're not in a frenzy you see the interesting things that are going on and really get absorbed in the place the moment and the place I remember the first time I learned to be patient. It was when everyone's bottlenecking and hustling to get onto the plane. It's like, what, what, what are we doing? Why are we racing to get on to the same plane that we have assigned seats? Like, what are we doing? Why are, why are we doing this? So relax, yes. relax, relax. Let people go uh, in front of you. It's, you talked earlier about what's coming up on the horizon, the uncertainty of sailing. I find that my favorite thing about traveling is the excitement of the uncertainty, knowing that around mm-hmm. the corner could be an education, could be an adventure, could be an opportunity. So for you, while at sea, while just on the water, what do you appreciate and value most about uncertainty? I suppose it's, it's the fact that you have to be prepared to take on whatever is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in Africa, you wake up and you might be eaten by a lion by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, at sea, you have to be prepared. You have, obviously, uh, the weather is a very important aspect of many areas of the world that you're traveling, sailing in. So you have to be conscious of that. Um, but if something happens, you know, you're sailing along somewhere and there's a 
pipe explodes or something goes wrong, you've jolly well got to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a sense of, of being prepared and not overly frightened by that sort of thing. You've just got to deal with it one way or another. Just got to deal with it. I know that when I travel, I, I, as I've evolved, I've learned how to travel. Like over time, I've realized this is what I like doing. So over time, there's certain things that I want to do when I travel. So for you, what are the ways that you want to travel? And has there been an event that has happened that you've realized that this is how I want to travel? This is what I want to do? Well, again, it was, it was a slightly uh, curious event. Um, I was starting to do my research for uh, setting up the international ship. And I was in Norway and I wanted, because the ship was Scottish, uh, Norway has an island, a little tiny island, the most westerly island in Norway called Utva. And tr supposedly when the Vikings were traveling across from Norway to Scotland, they stopped at Utvar to sharpen their swords on the rocks. <laughs> and because this was a Scottish company, I thought the link uh, with the international ship in Norway would make a nice one. So I thought I'd better go to Utvar. So I set off and I flew across to Bergen and I picked up my hire car and I drove up the Norwegian coast, which you know, if you look at it, it's just a nightmare, uh, across field after field and ferry, getting further and further north and west. And eventually I ended up in this little tiny place um, and not knowing very much about Norway, I ignorantly didn't know then that you need to take with you your sheets, your food, your everything. What you think is going to be a little B&B &B is just a room when that's it. Mm -hmm. So there I was, I just had to lie down in all my clothes and I had no food but there we are and the next morning I went down to the little harbour where I had knew there was a, a little tiny uh, boat that did a circuit of the fjords and the islands and I asked him if he would take me out to this really far out Utva and of course the Norwegians speak such great English so that was very easy and I jumped on his boat and he said he would and off we went and there were various other people and he dropped me off on the island and he said he'd come back at about um, in the afternoon, about two, three o'clock. So that was fine. So I wandered around the island and I found the marks in the rocks where the Vikings sharpened their swords. I think actually it's stones underneath the glacier, which scraped the rocks, but never mind. It's a good story. Mm -hmm. And I went across to the lighthouse and looked at that. It's uninhabited completely, this island. Mm. Um, people do go there sometimes and rather more now, but then it was completely uninhabited. And that was fine. And I did my work and I took my photographs and two o'clock came in the afternoon and three o'clock and four o'clock and five o'clock. No boat. Nobody came to collect me. So there I was all through the night uh, beyond mobile phone signal. Um, no, uh, nothing to eat, bottle of water and a Mars bar. Um, and that was it. And, you know, uh, there was... I had no matches, there was no wood or anything on the island. And I really thought, this is it. This is it. This is where you actually peg out, Amelia. This is the end of your life. You're going to starve. There's nobody, knew, not a soul in the world knew where I was, apart from that boatman. So all through the night, and of course, being Norway, it didn't get dark. So that was a helpful, but it wasn't, you know, it was worrying. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually at about uh, 11 o'clock the next morning, I heard an engine and I jumped up and down like fury on the rocks. And um, it was the little boat and he appeared. Uh, and he wasn't particularly sorry. I didn't really care. I was so thrilled to see him. 
And he said, well, you know, I went in to tie up and start the, you know, wait for the people to come down before I started my little tour around the fields again. And he said that there was an old lady who came onto the boat. She comes on every day and she looked around and she saw my hire car uh, with a Bergen number plate parked on the quay. And she asked him, who, did he know anything about this foreigner's car? Because it had come, you know, had a distant number plate. And he thought twice and said, oh, my goodness me, it must be that stupid woman I've left mm-hmm. out there on the island. <laughs> so my conclusion was never, ever travel without letting somebody know where you are and where you're going. What a great story. What an adventure. Who would have thought at the time this would be one of those stories that you would always remember as well? Mm. Yeah, exactly. No, no, it was, it was a very uh, formative experience. Yeah. <laughs> You talked earlier about Yorkshire being a location that people are, are very proud to be from and enjoy talking about it as well. So for you, what makes you the most proud to say that you were born in Leeds and are from Yorkshire? I think the Yorkshire people have, have a sense of resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people from the north have a different set of values, I think, from those in the south. Well, you know, we, we are a resilient bunch. We are conscious of our environment because the weather changes so quickly um and a great sense of humor actually (laughs) most people from the north have a good sense of humor i think it's a large location so maybe not stuck to one city or one town but for someone visiting yorkshire generally what would be your recommendation oh you must see york york itself the Mm -hmm. capital city of yorkshire is absolutely astonishing and the Yorkshire countryside, whether you're looking at the Pennines or the Yorkshire Moors, are extraordinarily beautiful. And the Pennines affect a huge area of the north of England uh, with the geological structure, all the coal mines, which, of course, affected the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. um, and the many industries that grew up around the Pennines, whether actually Yorkshire or the west side. Um, And of course, because of the industrial heritage and the rich land, you have a phenomenal collection of wonderful uh, stately homes, if you like to call them that, but Mm -hmm. beautiful houses with remarkable furniture and collections of antiques. Glorious. Any food and drink recommendation that visitors would have to try? Oh, well, one which you will know probably, Mm -hmm. uh, Pontefract Cakes. Mm -hmm. Um, which are little little sort of gooey, chewy discs of licorice. And then you've got uh, a Yorkshire fat rascal, which is a hot tea cake with butter. Um, gosh, so what else has Yorkshire got in the way of food? I shall be in big trouble if I can't <laughs> think of it. Oh, Yorkshire rhubarb. Yorkshire rhubarb is incredibly important. The best rhubarb in the world. It has a... Um, you know, a listing like cam- Camembert and Champagne has mm-hmm. the best rhubarb. Grown yeah. in the dark, near Wakefield. Fantastic. How can people stay up to date with your travels, your career? How can they find more information about Amelia Dalton Travel? And how can they scoop up your book? Oh, what a lovely question. Thank you. <laughs> well, I have a website. Uh, the website is very simple. It's just my name. If you put Amelia Dalton Travel uh, into Google, it will pop up. Um, my book is mentioned on the website. But if you, if you, I think probably, and I should have checked, but if you put Amelia Dalton author, uh, it pops up with the name of my book and um, pretty well any decent bookshop will, will have it. Obviously, Waterstones do. 
Um, and if uh, anybody wants to send me an email, um, I can organize a signed copy without any great problem. Love to do that. And the email, if I may, yeah. is very simple. It's again, it's just Amelia mm -hmm. at ameliadaltontravel.co.uk. And then do you have social media with it as well? I do an Instagram, yes. What's your Instagram? I think it's Amelia Dalton. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, very simple. I keep it all as simple as I can. That's the way to do it. Hello. Well, thank you very much indeed. I'm very, very enjoyable talking to you. I'm just, you know, love to say hello to Marjorie. Uh, Marjorie, your mum from Barnsley, a uh, great place, Barnsley, produces wonderful people. And maybe I'll get to meet you one day, which would be really nice. I know you and I will chat again. So <laughs> until we talk again, absolutely. <laughs> Arrivederci. All right, bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Amelia. Wasn't she fantastic? For more information, be sure to check out ameliadaltontravel.co.uk. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento.